message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, today is a very interesting day. We're continuing our study through the book of Zechariah, which is interesting in itself, but when we think about uh, the blessings of family and the blessings of mothers in particular and the way those blessings show themselves in our lives, in our families, and what's interesting about that to me is everyone who is in here has a mom. Kind of hard not to have one, right? And some of our moms uh, have gone on to be with the Lord. And some of our moms are still here. And I know uh, I've personally been without my mother on earth here for almost 26 years. And it's Mother's Day is interesting for me. And I'm thankful that while uh, my mother is no longer with me here and my wife's mother is no longer with us here, uh, I still see the blessings of God in my wife as a mother and in the people around me as I see other families and the way moms so tenderly care for their children, care for their families. And uh, I just want to say before we get into our Scripture today, uh, if your mother is still here with you, cherish every moment and be thankful. And if, you're, if your mother is gone on to be with the Lord, be thankful and rejoice that she's in the presence of Christ. There, there's many different ways to, to be thankful today. And so I want you to take, take full advantage of those. So, today's text of Scripture is in Zechariah chapter 3, which is really in the middle of a series of visions that God is showing His people through His prophet. So as you turn to chapter 3, I want to tell you a story about um, a man you may recognize his name. He wrote four hymns that are in most hymn books. He uh, translated 40 other hymns. His name is John Wesley. You might remember he had a brother named Charles, John and Charles Wesley. Well, I will tell you a story you may not know about him during his childhood. John Wesley had a terrible night when he was six years old. He was six years old. He uh, awakened in his family's old home to find it on fire from top to bottom. And as the, the house was burning, everyone else had been dragged out of the building, but by some crazy oversight, John, at, at age six, had been forgotten. And so he's in his house burning, the house is burning around him, and just at the very last moment before the roof fell in, a neighbor climbed on another man's shoulders and dragged him out the window. And so if you think about 
what God used John Wesley to do in his lifetime. When he was six years old, he almost perished in a house fire. But because folks were doing everything they could to, to get him out to safety, they were able to pull him from this window, a terrified child, and, and save him. And, and later, that scene of a man on another man's shoulders pulling him to safety through a window, someone drew a picture of that and, and gave it to him as a gift, as a, as a reminder of God's provision and goodness. And John Wesley, he kept it till the day he died. But underneath the picture, he actually wrote part of a Bible verse from Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2, where the Bible says, Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And he, he remembered that scene and that scripture for the rest of his life. It made a, an indelible impression on him about how he was rescued, but more to the point, how Jesus Christ has rescued us from the fires of hell. He's plucked us from the fire. This fourth vision here of Zechariah kind of sets forth Israel's internal cleansing from sin and how Israel, as God's people, gets reinstated into the priestly office and the functions of that office. But the cleansing of Israel that we'll hear about also illustrates what was accomplished by Christ when He offered Himself in our place on a cross for our sins. We have been rescued in every sense of the word. So let me read Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Uh, the text will be on the screen for you to follow along if you'd like. Here's what the Bible says, Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I've taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. 
in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will open up our minds and our hearts, help us to understand the word we've read, and Lord, then help us as we see your truth, help us to be obedient, that you will be glorified. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Three things really in this text that that stick out as this vision is given to God's people. And the first one is what we already kind of talked about and something that we can uh, identify with ourselves as Christ has saved us. Number one, Jesus snatches us out of the fire. Jesus snatches us out of the fire. And by the way, in our task of evangelism, uh, that same type of language is actually used in the book of Jude, which is the very next to last book of the Bible. When it talks about delivering the, the gospel or uh, talking about this, this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, it talks about sharing the gospel, snatching people from the fire, as it were. Snatching people out of the fire as we share the gospel with them. And that is in verse 23 of the book of Jude. It's only one chapter. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. So that same imagery is other places in the Bible, in the New Testament. So we think about what Jesus has done for us. In the first five verses of this chapter, the first half of the chapter, we see this picture of Joshua, the high priest, it, it, it's representing this remnant of Israel. And he was standing before the angel of the Lord. But you understand what the picture looks like. He's not dressed like he ought to be dressed. He's standing in the, in the presence of the heavens in front of the angel of the Lord. But it says his garments are filthy. So I want you to get the image here. What does that mean for us? He's representing the remnant of Israel, but his clothes are dirty. So how do we understand that? Sin. Sin. God's people are, are wearing dirty clothes because we've sinned and we've not repented. We've not looked for the face of God. We've not looked for uh, the grace and mercy of God and the forgiveness of God, the kindness that we have in Christ. We've not done the things that God has called us to do and we've not utilized the resources God has given us. And so... This vision is representing God's people that still need to seek God's face. And so right now, their, their clothes are dirty. Filthy garments. There's another passage in Isaiah chapter 64 that you may recall the language there when, when Isaiah says that our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. Basically, that's just a reminder that, hey, we can't do this on our own. We need some help. We can't be good enough to stand before the Lord on our own. We need Jesus. We need, we need divine help. So this picture of salvation really comes home for us because you see who the Bible says is standing beside Joshua, ready to accuse the devil himself. And lest we think this is just a picture and the Old Testament doesn't apply to us, and you know, before we go down that path, let's just remember we have an enemy who is constantly accusing us. And not just before God, 
But let me, let me ask you a question, just a personal question, just a little introspection. Just think about for your own life, for your own heart. You ever hear a little voice whispering you in your ear? Telling you some, some things like, uh, well, you, you really messed that up. You're, you're not good enough for God. What makes you think He would ever love you? What makes you think God would ever forgive you? You've done, you've done far too much. You've passed that line. God will probably never forgive you now all that you've done. You ever hear lies like that? I don't know why you even try. God's not going to accept you. Lies of the devil. Lies to discourage believers who are desperately trying to seek after God and want to follow Jesus and want to be all that God wants us to be. And yet, we have this little voice that whispers these lies in our ears. And just just so you know how to distinguish the voices you might hear in your spirit, this is a rule that you can remember. When you go to Jesus with your sins, when you seek forgiveness through the blood of Christ that He shed on the cross, God will never, ever remind you of your sins again. When you're forgiven, He takes those things and you say, Lord, remember that sin I confessed to you and you forgave me for last month? Yeah, I just want to tell you again, I'm really sorry. And you go, what? What sin? I don't know what you're talking about. That one's gone. See, God doesn't remind you of your sin that's been forgiven. The devil does. Because the devil would like nothing more than to just derail your whole direction and change your whole trajectory and keep you discouraged so you won't see the goodness of God and the forgiveness of Christ and the love of Jesus. He he doesn't want you to remember those things. He doesn't want you to remember grace and mercy and kindness. He wants you to live in discouragement. So, So when you see this picture of Satan standing ready to accuse Joshua before the Lord. Just know the same thing that happened in this text is the same thing that happens for the Christian. The Lord rebukes the enemy. The Lord rebukes Satan on Joshua's behalf. The Lord takes away our garment of sin and clothes us with His righteousness. You know, you can learn a lot of Good biblical theology from some of the old hymns. You know, I know we try to mix up the music a little bit, sing some new, some old, and but I, I want you to be careful if you tend to gravitate towards some of the newer music. It's good, it's good, but don't forget, don't forget the old hymns. Don't forget hymns like number four hundred six, the Solid Rock, where Edward Moat wrote these words: "My hope is built on nothing less." than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. talks about His righteousness, His blood, 
You get to verse 4. Verse 4 of the solid rock. When He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in Him be found. And, and what, how am I going to be dressed when I'm found? Verse 4. Dressed in His righteousness alone. Faultless to stand before His throne. That's what's happening right here in Zechariah chapter 3. Joshua representing God's people, wearing filthy garments. And and the Bible says, the Lord takes away our garment of sin and clothes us with His righteousness. So we don't just get snatched out of the fire, we get a new wardrobe. And it's clean, pure, and bright, and filled with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're, we're right before God. But just remember how that happened. We didn't do it. God did it. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He took the penalty that was due to us and He bore it Himself. And He paid the, the price for our sinfulness. And that's why that grace is so amazing. Jesus snatches us out of the fire. Number two, Jesus commands us to live for Him. Verses 6 and 7, we see this beautiful picture. The angel solemnly assures Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you walk in My ways and keep My charge, then you'll rule My house and have charge of My courts. I'll give you the right of access. See, forgiveness always precedes the command for obedience. I want to say that again because I don't want anybody to to be confused about this this, uh, principle here. Forgiveness precedes a command for obedience. It's like this. Let me put it in terms that we'll understand, practical terms. It's like this. Hey, i got a friend and he doesn't care anything about God. He doesn't care anything about the Bible. He never goes to church. So... If I'm going to invite him to come and, and attend a, a worship gathering with me, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to expect him to walk in here and look a certain way and act a certain way and live a certain way when he doesn't know the Jesus I know. How can I try to impose the righteous requirements or the righteous goals of a Christian following Jesus on a a man who is not a Christian. See, forgiveness precedes the command of obedience. Let me put it this way, in, in, in terms of fishing. My father cleans his fish after he catches them. Not before. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? See, when God saves a sinner and snatches him out of the fire, you don't have to get your stuff together and, and say, well, I hope I'm good enough, hope I'm right enough to, to approach God. No, no. The fact that you need to approach God is because you're not good enough. You're not right enough. God does that for you. So the fact that we're messed up is why we need Jesus so bad. You all understand what I'm saying? He cleans the fish, not us. 
So he, he cleans us up. He forgives our sins. He clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. And then he says, okay, now that I've got that done for you, let's look at life from here on out. Here's how it needs to look. And I'm going to give you everything you need to be able to do that. Second Peter chapter 1, His divine power has granted us everything we need for life and godliness according to the mercy of Him who called us by His glory and excellence. He, he gives us everything we need to live the life He calls us to live. Does that make sense? He forgives our sin, He cleans us up, and then He says, you're going to need some, some guidance, you're going to need some resources for this new life that I've called you to, and I, I'm going to give them all to you. Here's the grace and mercy you need. Now, now follow me. He commands us to live for Him. So see, we, we get justified by God, and then it's important to realize that's a new beginning. See, we don't get forgiven, and then we go away from that encounter and think, okay, well now that I'm forgiven, now I can just live however I want to live. That's not how that works. Do you remember a story in the Bible? In the Gospel of John, chapter 8? Verses 1 through 11, the story of an adulterous woman, a woman caught in the act of adultery, and the Pharisees, being all holier than thou, you know, they drag her before Jesus in the middle of town, and they say, hey, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says she needs to be stoned to death. What do you think we ought to do? You remember the story? You remember what Jesus did? He did a couple things. He started drawing in the dirt. <laughs> uh, and, and, he, and the Bible doesn't tell us what he, was, what he was writing down there. But you know what I think? This is, just my, this is just my opinion, my imagination. There's no scripture to back this up. But the way the story unfolds, here's what I think he was writing. I think he was writing the names of those Pharisees who had been with that woman and are now sitting here accusing her in front of God and everybody, and he's writing there, oh, by the way, don't forget, you did that, and you did that, and he's, he's throwing that guilt on them. I, that, that may not be true, but it seems appropriate. Because you know what the Bible says? One by one, starting with the oldest, they walked away. It's like almost like it's it's almost like as they saw their name written in the sand. Oh, I need to get out of here, and then they left. And now that may not be true, so don't don't go home and say, "Oh, well, the preacher said this." That's not you know maybe not, but it just seems interesting because Jesus said, "The one among you who is without sin, let him throw the first stone." And they all dropped the rocks and went home because. None of us is without sin. But do you remember what he told the woman? He said, okay, where's all the people who were accusing you? They're gone. And then he said to her, well, I'm not going to condemn you either, but go and sin no more. Sin no more. You can be forgiven, but that sets you on a new path. 
it means from here on out, your priorities are different. Your goals are different. Your principles are different. Because you're following Jesus now. So you, you do away with the old self. Remember what the Apostle Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what Jesus does for us. He snatches us out of the fire and then He commands us to live for Him, but He forgives us and gives us the resources we need to live for Him. Number three, finally. Jesus is our great high priest. He snatches us from the fire. He commands us to live for Him and He shows us His position as our high priest. This is a very uh, symbolic messianic message right here. It points us toward Jesus. Remember when Zechariah is receiving this word and giving this word, it's 500 years, 520 B.C., so 500 years before Jesus was even born. But this right here is talking about looking forward to Jesus, the Messiah. The, the text says these men around Joshua, they're a sign or a symbol. He says, I'm going to bring in my servant the branch. Now look in your Bible. Look in your Bible. If you have your Bible open, I want you to look there. And I want you to look at the word branch. At the end of verse 8, should be the last word in verse 8. Capital B. You should have a capital B in your Bible. Branch. My servant, the branch. You know why it's capitalized? It's talking about Jesus. God says, I'm going to bring in my servant, the righteous branch, that's going to make all these things new, that's going to accomplish the plan of redemption, that's going to provide the righteousness that you're going to be clothed with. So this is pointing forward to Jesus. This reference when God says in verse 9, I'm going to remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. You know what day he's talking about? He's talking about a day outside of Jerusalem when a, a Jewish carpenter that the, the people had condemned was carrying a cross up a hill to be crucified. That's the day he's talking about. In a single day, I'm going to remove the iniquity of this land. It's all pointing to Jesus. Now, the most interesting thing happens with this prophecy and its tie-in to the New Testament. So before we finish up, I want, to, I want to show you this connection. The sacrifice of priests, right? The Old Testament, there was a, a very extensive sacrificial system. Very specific. How you had to do things, what animals you had to bring, and how you had to to do the blood on the altar, and the priest had to do things a certain way. The priest, the high priest, especially on the Day of Atonement, had to offer a sacrifice for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. And but but you know what had to happen in all these um, logistics? They had to keep on offering sacrifices, right? There was no end in sight to that. You just, if you want to keep being right with God, you've got to keep offering sacrifices, right? 
up until Jesus came. So I want, to, I want you to see three particular aspects of these sacrifices and how it points to Jesus, how His sacrifice was once and for all. Why Jesus accomplished the plan of redemption. The sacrifice of Jesus is by someone who is Himself perfect. Right, so all the priests chosen among men, all the stuff they did, they're, they're people too, right? So they're not perfect, but they were just in an office fulfilling a duty before God so they could uh, be right with God and have the people be right with God. But they had to keep doing that, but they weren't perfect. Jesus was perfect. So Jesus, uh, he, is a perfect, he was a perfect sacrifice. So in Hebrews chapter 7... There's, there's three passages in Hebrews that tie back into this. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 and following says, It was fitting we should have a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his sins, then for the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He's perfect. So his sacrifice is once for all. So not only was he perfect, but the sacrifice he made was perfect. In Hebrews chapter 9, the Bible says in verse 11, Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come through the greater, more perfect tent, not made with hands. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood, securing an eternal redemption. So, Jesus Himself was perfect. The sacrifice He offered was perfect. But it was also complete and eternal. The sacrifice of Jesus was complete and eternal. In Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 12, the Bible says, When Christ had offered for all time, listen, listen to this, a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So when you look at the, the foreshadowing of Zechariah looking forward to Jesus coming as the Messiah, we need to understand His sacrifice. He was perfect. The sacrifice was perfect. It was also complete. And eternal. And you want to know an interesting little fact about this? In this system, in the Old Testament, when a priest had to always offer the sacrifices constantly, there were no chairs in the temple, in that area of the temple. There were no chairs. Do you know why? Because the work of the priest was never done the priest wouldn't be sitting down because his work never ended because he constantly had to go and make sacrifices for the sins of his himself his family and the people no chairs no time to sit down got to keep keep on with this process you want to know another interesting fact guess where jesus is right now He's sitting down in a throne at the right hand of God. You know why? Because that work's finished. 
it is finished. Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might present us to God. See, when, when Jesus did His work, He didn't plan on doing it a second time. Because what He did the first time was perfect. He was perfect. What He did was perfect. The result of it was eternal, complete. So when He said in John chapter 19 and verse 30, It is finished. He wasn't joking. It really is finished. His sacrifice was sufficient for all and for all time. So, what do we do with that message? The very last verse in this chapter, after God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do away with the iniquity of this people in a single day. And then He says, everybody's going to invite their neighbor. Do you see that? Look at verse 10. Every one of you will invite his neighbor. You know what that means? This is an, an evangelistic plea 500 years before the events took place. Invite your neighbor. Well, what, okay, what am I inviting them to? You're inviting your neighbors to sit under the blessings of Jesus Christ. Sit under the perfect sacrifice on a blood-stained cross. Sit under redemption that has been bought and paid for with the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus on our behalf. Invite your neighbors, your friends, your family. Invite them to come and hear and understand the true message of the Gospel that Jesus, who had no sin of His own, left heaven to come here to take on a form like we have of a human being and to live a life free from sin and to die a sinner's death that He did not deserve, we deserve. And to rise victoriously on the third day. To ascend back into heaven and to take His rightful place in His throne. In, in His seat. He sat down at the right hand of God. He, he's praying for us right now. This very moment. He's praying. If you know Jesus, if you belong to Him, then right now He's praying for you that you'll lean in closer. That you'll follow a little more. If you don't know Jesus, He's praying for you right now. That whatever barriers are blocking you from coming to Him, whatever blinds are on your eyes, or whatever's stopping up your ears, or whatever's, whatever it is that's preventing you from coming to Jesus, He's praying for you right now that those things would be stripped away, that you'll see and you'll hear and you'll understand the beauty of the Gospel. 
He's praying for you to be saved. Do, do we understand? Only Jesus can save us from our sins. Only Jesus has the authority to call us to live for Him. Only Jesus is a worthy subject for this good news. So, so you know what we need to do? Come to Jesus. Just, just come to Jesus. He's, he's praying for you. He's calling your name. Just come to Jesus. Rest in Him. this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.